we've got a little problem at our house and I need your help today. Uh, we've got this toy that is really annoying at our house. And uh, it has a noise that bothers you. And so at the moment, I'm looking for a little guidance as a parent on what to do. I thought we'd take a vote. I've got three options for us this morning on how to deal with this issue. One, you could hide it. B, you could break it. Or C, you could ban it. You can hide it, you can break it, or you can ban it. So I'm going to ask for one of those three options. How many of you would vote this morning? How many of you would hide it? Well, it doesn't work. That's part of the problem here. We'll get to that in a second. You're getting ahead of the game. How many of you would break it? There was nobody at the first service that was willing to break it, so it's good. How many of you would ban it? You think you have more authority than you actually will when the children come along. Well, it seems overwhelming that the issue is to hide it. I'll, I'll take that into consideration. At the moment, though, I've got a fourth option that seems to be working quite well. You see, I've stalled in buying new batteries for it. But then I, I've decided I could take it one step further. I've told the children the store doesn't have those batteries any longer. But they're, whoa, whoa, whoa. Seeing how they're pretty smart, I've actually come up with one step further. I've told them that the EPA has banned those type of batteries. I think I've worked out the perfect system. If they've got a toy that they enjoy that also annoys, what do you do? Take away the power. Because when you take away the power, now what do you have? Something that they've got to really make up some stuff to come up with fun. You know, this toy is actually probably a pretty good representation of the majority of our Christian lives. This toy is a pretty good representation of the spiritual lives that exist in our culture. It's a good representation because what has happened in our lives or what is happening or what has happened maybe at just a moment is that our spiritual lives have been emptied of all power. Spirituality is extremely popular. The last survey uh, taken by George Barna found that over 90% of Americans, around 91 to 92% of Americans, are highly interested and want to have a vibrant spiritual life. That same survey found, though, that not 60% of the people surveyed, same group, didn't want anything to do with church or Jesus. So they wanted a vibrant spiritual life, but no church or Jesus. Yet, the same group of the 91% that said they want a vibrant spiritual life, 82% of the 91%, said they didn't have a vibrant spiritual life. Do you think there would be some connections made, maybe? That you want a vibrant spiritual life, you don't have a vibrant spiritual life, and you don't want this other thing called Jesus or the church. We're interested in spirituality. I would assume that everybody gathered here this morning wants to have a spiritual life. Otherwise, you're simply here because maybe it's the right thing to do to please your family, 
But for the most part, everybody wants a spiritual life. Well, then the question is, why are we dead spiritually? Why do people say there's no vibrancy in their spiritual life? I would contend this morning that we're dead spiritually because we oftentimes ignore, misunderstand, or are even afraid of the most important piece of spirituality. What's the most important piece of spirituality? The Holy Spirit. What's the root word of spirituality? Spirit. You can't have any spirituality unless there's a spirit. Some would contend that they can have spirituality because of their inner spirit. But the Bible teaches that that inner spirit, actually, it can't be quickened or made alive without an external spirit known as the Holy Spirit that brings our internal spirit to life. Most of us have childhood fears. Dark, maybe being alone, maybe certain people, maybe heights. I would contend that we all have childhood fears and Christians also have one major fear, the Holy Spirit. Why? Why do we fear the Holy Spirit so much? We want to unpack today a little bit of who is the Holy Spirit because we want to have a spiritual life. When we did the, we're doing the You Asked It sermon series right now and the number one question asked the most was about the Holy Spirit. There's a variety of questions asked about the Holy Spirit. This morning I want to share a couple of those questions with you. First, one of the questions was, what does it mean to be baptized in the Holy Spirit? Another question was, how do I grieve the Holy Spirit? And thirdly, why doesn't the Holy Spirit overpower these demons in my life and free me from anxiety? And there's a variety of other questions asked about the Holy Spirit as well. My hope this morning is that we would get a foundation of who the Holy Spirit is and what the Holy Spirit does that can help us begin to answer those and give you a foundation to work from as you're dealing with other questions about the Holy Spirit. For we cannot have a spiritual life without the Holy Spirit involved in our lives. This morning, I'm going to be covering what I'm going to call a storyboard of the Bible. So you don't need to flip around in your Bible this morning. You don't need to take detailed notes. I'm going to post kind of a detailed outline after today of the scriptures that I looked at and some of the main points because I'm covering a high view. Maybe if you're taking notes, you just want to write down something that caught your attention that maybe you want to think about further this morning. So I want to do a high view of the Holy Spirit. Well, the Holy Spirit isn't a new concept or isn't a new thing after Jesus. The Holy Spirit was prophesied about in the Old Testament. Before Jesus even came, in the Old Testament, there was prophecies that at some point in history, God was going to pour out His Spirit upon people. So in the prophet Joel, for example, you've got a prophecy that God's Spirit is going to come and give people visions, give people new languages. And then the prophet Jeremiah, maybe you know these verses from chapter 33, talks about how the Spirit of the Lord is going to come at some point and write the law of the Lord on people's hearts. Now, this was massively different. Before Jesus came in the Old Testament, individual people in the nation of Israel, the Holy Spirit was not present with them. So before the New Testament, at different times, the Holy Spirit would come and empower certain people like King David or Moses or one of the prophets for, for a special moment to give them a word or give them direction. But individual members of the nation of Israel or individual, you could say, Jews, the Holy Spirit was not present with them. 
But it was promised that at some point in history, the Holy Spirit was going to come and reside with each individual. It was a longing of the nation of Israel that that day was going to come at some point. So the Holy Spirit has always been involved, but there was also this promise that there was going to be greater involvement on the personal level at some point. So the Holy Spirit was promised, and then Jesus comes, and Jesus begins to teach his followers. And as Jesus teaches his followers about the Holy Spirit, he describes the Holy Spirit as a personal being. So earlier in the service, we read from John chapter 16, where Jesus is teaching his followers. In John 16, verse 5, Jesus says to his followers, hey, it's to your advantage that I go away. I would contend, just an absolutely confusing verse. Jesus has spent three years with these people. Jesus has claimed to be God. He's forgiven sins. Jesus has raised people from the dead. Jesus has been building this movement of people. And then Jesus says to these people, hey, it's actually better if I go away. And it just doesn't make sense. I mean, today, if I was to say, what's the greatest thing that could happen to our church today? I think the majority of us would probably agree the greatest thing would be is if Jesus walked through those back doors. Right? <laughs> I think we'd get in the Argus later tomorrow if Jesus came in the back door. I mean, that would be pretty good. That'd be a good day at King of Glory if Jesus showed up. Well, Jesus says to his followers, hey, guess what? It's to your advantage if I'm not here. How can that be? Well, it can be because Jesus leaves, he sends someone else. Who does he send? He doesn't just send some breath of fresh air. So it's like this mystical wind that comes here and goes there. Jesus actually sends a personal being. If you read John chapter 16 over and over, Jesus refers to the Holy Spirit as he or him. And then he calls the Holy Spirit a helper. That's who he is or a comforter. Jesus describes the Holy Spirit as a personal being. Now, I, I don't know what that substance is or what that substance looks like. I don't know if it's two eyes, nose, mouth like a, a human, but we know the Holy Spirit is a personal being. This is critical to understand for some of your questions about the Holy Spirit. Because if the Holy Spirit is a personal being, I can't have 50% of the Holy Spirit. So let's say you're going to have somebody over for supper. You're being nice, you're having a difficult person over for supper. And at some level, we're all difficult, right? But you're having somebody over that's got some interesting quirks. You, you can't call that person on their way to your house and be like, hey, I'd only like 40% of you to come over for supper tonight. It, it doesn't work, right? If I invite Derek, I mean, I was not going to say a name. If, if I invite somebody over for supper, what? They're coming. A hundred percent. I get the whole person. The, the same is true of the Holy Spirit. I don't get 40% of the Holy Spirit and then I'm like, hey God, today I'm feeling a little empty. Could I get a little more of the Spirit? No. The Holy Spirit's a personal being that's with us. We have the Holy Spirit. So therefore, if you're going, there's just times though when I feel empty. It's not that you don't have the whole Holy Spirit. It's that our flesh is winning a battle at that moment, that we're not submitting or we're not recognizing the presence of the Holy Spirit. 
So what we're doing in those moments is we're, we're submitting to the flesh or we're submitting to worldly thought rather than submitting to the presence of the Holy Spirit. Because we have the Holy Spirit. Not half, not a portion. We have all of Him. He's here with us. So the Holy Spirit is a personal being. The third thing about the Holy Spirit that Jesus emphasizes is that the Holy Spirit works in unity with the Father and the Son. In John chapter 16, again, when Jesus is teaching his followers, we talked about these verses already. He says, hey, the Holy Spirit's going to come and he's going to make known what's in my heart, what's in Jesus' heart. And then Jesus says, hey, what's in my heart was originally in the Father's heart. And the Holy Spirit's making all of that known. So when the Holy Spirit comes, it's not like the Holy Spirit's coming and going, hmm, I wonder what I should tell these people about today. No, the Holy Spirit comes with a message from Jesus. Jesus says there about the Holy Spirit in John chapter 16 that the Holy Spirit operates under the authority of Jesus. That doesn't make the Holy Spirit lesser than Jesus or anything like that. It just means that the Holy Spirit has willingly submitted himself to the Son. So when the Holy Spirit comes, the Holy Spirit makes known the desires and the person of Jesus Christ. So some people have asked, how do you know if the Holy Spirit is present? The number one, and one that stands above all else, is, is Jesus praised? If people have said they've had a spiritual experience, but the name of Jesus has not been lifted up, you have not had a spiritual experience. You've simply been dealing in your own feelings and in your own mind. The Holy Spirit always brings glory to Jesus. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are in such unity together that one doesn't work apart from the other two. It's this amazing mystery. This is so important to understand because sometimes people say, well, is the Holy Spirit invisible? Well, in a sense, the Holy Spirit wants to be invisible because the Holy Spirit wants to magnify Jesus. And when Jesus is magnified, guess what? The Holy Spirit is also glorified in the process because they're one substance again, one being together. So Jesus wants to be glorified. The Holy Spirit wants to glorify Jesus. J.I. Packer, who's an evangelical scholar, says it this way. The Spirit's message is never, look at me, look, listen to me, come to me, get to know me. But it's always, look at him, see his glory, listen to him, hear his word, go to him and have life, get to know him and taste his joy and peace. The Holy Spirit makes Jesus known because the Holy Spirit proceeds from Jesus. So if you're ever wondering, well, was the Spirit present? Just ask, was Jesus honored today? The Holy Spirit works in conjunction with the Father and the Son. The Holy Spirit is then sent by Jesus after Jesus' ascension. So the Holy Spirit's prophesied about in the Old Testament. Jesus comes teaches about the coming of the Spirit, and then Jesus leaves after he rises from the dead. And now we're in the realm of craziness, right? I mean, Jesus gets on a cloud and leaves. I don't know about you, but have not seen that before. and It's not a regular occurrence. So Jesus leaves, and then what happens? Jesus sends his Spirit to be with his followers, what we oftentimes call Pentecost. It's the first coming of the Holy Spirit to individual believers to remain with them. That's the key piece, remain with them. The Holy Spirit had come before, but after Jesus' ascension is the first time the Holy Spirit came and remained with 
individual believers. So therefore, you had what some described as a baptism of the Holy Spirit. So the followers that were with Jesus, the original 12, let's call them, which were now down to 11, but then they added one. Those 12 had, most, had been baptized by Jesus or by John the Baptist before, a water baptism. Now Jesus leaves. When the Holy Spirit comes, those 12 have what we would call a baptism in the Holy Spirit, which means this. The word baptize means immerse. I know we don't immerse, but the word literally means immersion. So to be baptized in something is to be immersed, totally covered in something. So they had a baptism in the Holy Spirit simply means that they were overpowered, they were clothed in the power of the Holy Spirit. Now this makes sense for the original disciples that they had this experience. Why? Because the Holy Spirit hadn't been given yet when they first knew Jesus. So their experience might be a little different than ours because they lived in a unique time in history. So you and I today, we might not have a baptism in the Holy Spirit like the original disciples did. Now, can we have a baptism in the Spirit? Absolutely. It's not a necessity to become a Christian because when you're converted, in other words, when I say I believe in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit is with me because I can only say I believe in Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 8, the book of Ephesians talks about we are sealed by the work of the Holy Spirit. So, I might come to faith in Jesus, be water baptized, and profess faith in Jesus, and have the Holy Spirit's with me. Other people might come to faith in Jesus Christ, and at some later date, they might have what they would describe as a baptism in the Holy Spirit, a moment when, for whatever reason, they were clothed in complete power of the Holy Spirit, maybe spoke in tongues, maybe prophesied, maybe had a different experience where they just had uncontrollable laughing or uncontrollable sorrow or sadness. Maybe you've seen this on TV before on the religious channel. You just watch people, and next thing you know, there's people shaking and falling to the ground. Now, does the Spirit do that? It's recorded in the Bible that the Spirit does that at different times. Does it happen to everyone? No, it doesn't. Does it have to happen to everyone? No, there's no requirement. So baptism of the Holy Spirit is when you're clothed in complete power of the Holy Spirit, kind of a manifestation of something external happening. But yet all followers of Jesus Christ have the complete presence of the Holy Spirit with them. There's this mysterious element. Our church would teach that, can you be baptized in the Holy Spirit? Absolutely. But a separate experience of baptism in the Holy Spirit is not a necessity to be a full-fledged member. Some places would teach, you have your water baptism, and then at some point in your life you have a baptism in the Holy Spirit where you speak in tongues. That's evidence of your faith in Jesus Christ. We would say, hey, can people speak in tongues, be clothed in the Spirit? Absolutely. But it's not a necessity. So, can I be baptized in the Holy Spirit? Yes. Do I have to be baptized in the Holy Spirit? No. Here's the danger, though. If you're like, oh, phew, glad I could check that crazy experience off the list. Well, that's part of the problem. Because what are you doing then? You're getting in the control seat of saying, I'm going to decide what the Holy Spirit can do in my life and can't do in my life. So again, I want to emphasize 
that the Spirit might work in and among us in different ways and manifest Himself in different ways. But there's not a set formula that's required for everyone. So, the Spirit is sent after Jesus. Those original followers have this immersion-type experience with the Holy Spirit. It still happens today with individuals. And then the final thing about the Holy Spirit is that the Holy Spirit is present with every believer today. With you, if you're professing faith in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit, we describe it as indwelling in you. What that means, I'll be frank, I got no idea. If I cut you open today, I'm not going to find the Holy Spirit. So is the Holy Spirit physically in your body? I, I don't know. I just know the promise of Scripture that the personal being of the Holy Spirit is present with us. And the Scripture uses the language of in us. How that works, I... There's not a picture in the Bible to tell us. But we can know that the Holy Spirit is with us. Therefore, one of the questions was, why is the Holy Spirit let me be possessed by demons? Why doesn't the Holy Spirit free me from anxiety? Our, Our teaching as a church would be this, that when someone's a follower of Jesus Christ, they cannot be possessed by demons. Get real clear on this. As a follower of Christ, it means that I'm sealed by the Holy Spirit. Language that we maybe use would be, I'm born again. 1 John chapter 5 says you've been born of God. And once you've been born of God, 1 John 5.18 says, the evil one cannot own you because you're owned by God. So if I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, demons cannot possess me. Now, demons can play with me. But there's a big difference between playing with me and possessing me. If we want to eliminate demons and the devil, we've got to eliminate half the Bible. And Jesus becomes a comic strip if we say devil and demons aren't real. I mean, you can't take Jesus serious. Half of his work is freeing people from demonic activity. So are there demons active in the world? Absolutely. But they have no control over me as a follower of Jesus Christ. But those demons at times may try to play with me a little bit. They might put people in my life, they may put circumstances there or try and twist the circumstance to try and get me to, to trip or to fall. Now I'm in the realm of crazy, and some of you are getting glassed over here. I, I understand that. This is some new, new stuff for the majority of us. But folks, this is reality. And when we don't deal with this reality, it would explain a little bit why we don't have the spiritual vibrancy. Because who's trying to steal the vibrancy from us? Satan. What a perfect game plan of Satan to do this. Hey, uh, you know, the church says you can't really talk about the Holy Spirit anymore, and, and the church says Satan doesn't really exist anymore after uh, Jesus went up and, and rose from the grave. And, I mean, Satan, you're thinking, why would Satan do that? Well, then what? We completely ignore him. Don't pay any attention. Don't pray against him at all. If what? We don't believe he's here. So it's kind of like me saying to my kids, hey, the EPA has outlawed these batteries. Can't do anything about it. Satan's doing the exact same strategy in the church right now. Hey, uh, you can't talk about the Holy Spirit and demons don't exist. Then what? Eh, okay, we're good to go. But yet all along, Satan just keeps robbing us of life. So demons are present, but they do not possess us. Can, we can dive into some deep, complicated stuff with all of that. Again, I want to emphasize today, the Holy Spirit is promised from the very beginning of time by God. The Holy Spirit is a personal being of substance. 
The Holy Spirit works in perfect unity with God the Father and God the Son. They always work together. The Holy Spirit is sent after Jesus ascends. The Holy Spirit is present, personally present, with every believer. So why do we struggle so much with the Holy Spirit? Two reasons. First is we're control freaks, right? I'm a control freak on steroids. Just ask anybody that works with me. I like to have every detail down to the end by me, for me. Now, the rest of you aren't far behind me. You are control freaks. You like to have everything your way, your timing, your methods. Well, this is complete opposite then. If true spirituality is being under the control of a spirit, I'm not going to have control. So I've got to be willing to say, I can let it go. Not my way. This is it. Foundational. The second issue we have, and this might be just as big as the other one, we're controlled by other people's opinions. This is a big one. This is a big deal. Women, right? You may not vocal it, but a lot of times you think, what are other women thinking of me and what I said or how I'm doing this or how I'm doing that or what I'm not doing? It's in your mind. A lot. Now, men... I know how these men are around here. Oh, I don't care what anyone thinks. Put on the shirt I want to put on in the morning. My wife doesn't tell me what shoes to wear with what pants. I don't care what anyone thinks. Do what I want. Untrue. (laughs) Find me a man that doesn't care what others think. I'll take you to the only place where those men are located. They're up in the hill in a prison or they're in an institution. Because people who truly don't care what others think, they're dangerous. Very dangerous. All of us care a lot what others think. And that's, it's healthy to some degree. The question is, do we let it totally control us? So a very simple example. Some of us you know, are new to this idea of worship and raising our hands. But some, that's a big deal. Some of us, I know, it's like, oh boy, what are they going to think if I, if I raise my hands? right? It's on our minds. What are other people going to think if I raise my hands? Guess what? If we're struggling with the opinions of others here in this room, where we're all pretty nice for the most part, there's no physical harm at stake for anyone. If we're struggling with it in here, how much more are we going to struggle with it out there? Folks, if we want vibrant spirituality, We cannot allow others to dictate our experiences or we ourselves can't have full control over ourselves. True spirituality is when the Holy Spirit is in control. So, how do I know if the Holy Spirit's in control? I want to share a couple of things really quick and give us a warning. How do we know if the Holy Spirit's in control? First and foremost, Jesus is glorified. When Jesus has said, hey, Jesus is awesome, Jesus is Lord, Jesus is Savior, that means the Holy Spirit is present. And Jesus is honored when God's purposes are accomplished. So, if God's Word says that Jesus is in the business of restoring relationships, that one of God's purposes is to help us be kind to one another, one of God's purposes is to bring reconciliation. If someone is saying, the Holy Spirit's guiding me right now, and as the Holy Spirit's guiding, it's causing strife, jealousy, or envy. Guess what? That's not the work of the Holy Spirit. Because Jesus isn't being glorified because God's purposes are not being accomplished. 
We're so quick to say, hey, we can't judge anyone. We're just so much in this mindset that if so-and-so says it was the Spirit, can't say a word. Absolutely not. We need to examine for fruit and look for fruit. Jesus is in the fruit business. He says it in the Sermon on the Mount. They'll know you're my disciples by your fruit. If you want to know the Spirit is evident, look for fruit. Look at God's purposes being accomplished. The Spirit's never going to go against the Father and the Son revealed purposes in the Word. The final thing then is the fruit of the Spirit. If the Spirit is present, guess what's going to happen? Love, self-control, joy, peace, kindness, gentleness. That's evidence that the Holy Spirit is present because that's fruit of the Spirit. We're on a very slippery slope as a church and as a culture as a whole. I've heard this said a lot. I really felt the Spirit this morning. There's nothing wrong with that at all. However, our feelings don't validate or invalidate the presence of the Holy Spirit. You could leave here on some Sunday morning going, wow, that was amazing. I felt great. Folks, just because you felt great doesn't mean the Spirit was here. You could also leave here some Sunday morning going, jeez, that guy's a freak and a disaster. And that was a mess. And you're just feeling, that doesn't mean the Holy Spirit wasn't present either. You've got to look for the fruit. Was Jesus honored? Were his purposes laid out from his word? Now, are there going to be feelings? Absolutely. Our emotions are closely tied in with our whole spirit and our flesh. But feelings don't have the final say. God's word has the final say. And so this morning, if you've been in one of those spots, you're like, I, had, I just haven't felt the Spirit lately. God's Word says to you, the Spirit is present with you right now if you're a believer in Jesus Christ. You may not feel it, so therefore what you might have to do is walk by faith, not by feeling. My daughter's waiting for new batteries, and I'm not sure how much longer I can just keep this thing hidden, broken, or the EP, get the EPA involved. But she's longing for a toy that works. This morning, every soul in this room is longing for vibrant spirituality. If you want vibrant spirituality, a simple prayer. God, awaken me to the presence of the Holy Spirit.